Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy. I believe that we are all so much more powerful than we can possibly understand. My goal with these conversations is to introduce you to brave, vulnerable people who are finding and owning their awesome. My guests are leaning into what makes them unique and sharing that uniqueness with the world. I hope these conversations inspire you to break free from whatever is holding you back and to step into your own greatness. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My guest today is Kirk Walker, the assistant softball coach at UCLA. Welcome, Kirk. Hi, how are you? Good. I'm so excited you're here. We were just talking before we hit record about, well, about softball, obviously, and how you had a really unique experience and that you got into the coaching side before you got into the playing side. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I came about it in a different way. Most people play a sport for a while before they move into coaching, but uh, I was coaching at a very high competitive level before I ever even really started my own, started to compete and play. And when did you, when did you start coaching? I started coaching uh, softball when I was about, um, I would say 16. And um, I was coaching with my, my sister's team and, and a youth program. And then when I got in at UCLA, I was uh, kind of a manager that moved into a coaching role about my junior year during college. So it's, it's been something that's been a passion in my life for quite a while. What do you love about softball? You know, I love that, that it is an individual sport um, that is disguised as a team sport because the challenges that you face as a hitter or as a pitcher are very individual. It requires an individual mentality to perform and to uh, prepare to compete. But it's a team sport, you know, and, and there's nine on field on defense. So it, it's the best of both worlds. Um, my personal development as an individual is important, but my, also my ability to mesh and work with my teammates is really powerful. How do you support that as a coach, that individual team balance? Well, you know, every, every athlete comes into it just a little differently. So a lot of times we'll have athletes that come in that are very good at the team uh, side of things and are very oriented towards the team. But oftentimes those athletes don't necessarily um, take enough ownership or um, uh, priority with themselves to really excel. So sometimes that, that requires more delving into them as an individual and making sure that they're maximizing their ability and talents. And on the same side, we'll have many athletes, great athletes come in that are, that are high performance, high skill athletes that really are, are focused very much on their own skill sets and, and not necessarily as good at the team side. So um, I think for me, it's about finding a, an athlete and knowing that I've got to complete the picture of what they are as a student athlete. Um, so I've got to be able to focus on areas of their strength and make sure they keep getting better but most importantly, balancing the areas that they maybe aren't excelling in, which it might be academically, it might be socially, it might be with their uh, self-esteem, um, and then certainly uh, whatever aspects during their physical play that needs to be kind of fine-tuned and, and elevated. So it sounds like, I mean, you spend a lot of time with these players. Yeah, for sure. Uh, when is the season this spring? The season, our season goes pretty much uh, year round. Our competitive season um, is basically February through June. And um, during that period of time, we're spending uh, an enormous amount of time together, traveling, competing, um, just, it becomes your family. It becomes definitely your, um, your, your unit that you're surrounded by really 24 seven. Um, and then we also, in the fall, we have a, a non-competitive season in the fall and I say non-competitive, meaning that we don't necessarily have a, a full competitive schedule. We play a handful of games in the off-season. But um, the only time of the year that we really are not able to work with the athletes is during the summer. And then uh, usually about December, we have about the month of December off for uh, Christmas break, holiday break. So other than that, we're pretty much going year-round. And I think a lot of people think of training for a sport as something you do you know, you train on the field, you train in the gym, but what other activities are you guys doing together to work on the mental aspect, the social aspect, all those other pieces that you said you support them on the academics? Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, it depends. It goes in cycles during the year, but um, obviously 
we're getting ready to start the season here um, in terms of the school year. And um, we're going to spend a few days with some team building and spend some time with team bonding. And those are going to be basically um, getting them together to get to know each other and trust each other. I think one of the most important things that we see for these young, uh, young women that are, are really trying to achieve something really powerful is to make sure that they realize they're not alone, that they've got a support network. And that support network is their teammates. But that requires work and trust um, and empathy, you know, your ability to um, understand your teammates, know where they're coming from, know that it's very different than your own experience, and not to judge that, but just to um, have empathy for where they're coming from. And then once again, figuring out how you can focus on a common goal. Uh, the greatest thing about athletics is that we actually, um, it's a microcosm of the real world. You know, um, nobody, nobody really cares what um, your own personal agenda is. If there's a common goal, that becomes the focal point. And, and at the end of the day, when we are focusing on achieving as a team to be successful, then we can use that as a great learning opportunity to how do you do that? How do you put your personal choices and your personal decisions a little bit to the back burner to the side while you can really key in and focus on the team goals and mm -hmm. sacrificing for each other so it requires it, it's a daily conversation to be honest with you it's not just one time on a weekend carrying a long up log up a hill you know and saying that's that's team bonding um but there's a lot of activities like that um challenges rope course challenges that require the problem solving that require them to work together and that's when we really see some great um, things start happening. What other, do you have any, are you willing to share any other activities that you guys do? <clears throat> I don't know um, if I'm gonna like spoil your playbook. No, I, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm an open book and actually I, I love being able to talk about this uh, to other coaches as well, because I think um, some of the, through my experience, there's a lot of things that we do. Um, couple of things that I think are really important and especially in women's athletics, but I, I would say in any athletics, um, athletes really want to know and be val feel valued. And I think that oftentimes coaches um, get so focused on their agenda and their um, set of goals that they oftentimes um, kind of fail to kind of really delve into what is motivating the student athletes. So one of the great activities that I love in the goal setting process every year, and it's different every year, is to sit down with the team and, and have everyone on the team literally just start throwing out ideas about what they want to get from the next 12 months that we're together or the next eight months that we're together. You know, and there, there's no wrong answer. So what are some of the things that you really want to accomplish? And we throw those up on a board and you may end up with, you know, 20 to 30 of those that kind of consolidate down in different words to a, a few items. And then you, you give them a sticker or you give them an opportunity to say, go ahead and, and you individually, each one of you gets to kind of highlight what are your top three on that board? And you do that. And it's a very simple, and it's, it's really, um, it's fun to watch. And it's really interesting because what you find inevitably, doesn't matter what level, could, we did this with the Olympic team. I've done it with a youth rec team. And I've done it certainly in the college level. doesn't matter what level you're playing. There will be a handful of things that are on every one of those lists. And, um, and that is about, they want to build relationships with their teammates. They want to enjoy the journey of the season. Um, and oftentimes, those are things that we take for granted. Um, and coaches have to not take those for granted because it's an important part of their process. Female athletes are, are amazing, strong, tough, just mentally some of the strongest athletes I've been around. But I will say this, they perform at their best when they feel good and they feel valued. And so you've got to make sure that, that for them to perform at their best and be at their best, they have to feel good. Um, I've been around a lot of male teams and uh, I, I don't think that's a bad strategy on the male side either, but I will say oftentimes male athletes, they play good to feel good versus female athletes want to feel good, which allows them to play good. Um, so I think that that's an important thing that we, I, I have always stressed uh, as a head coach or, or now as an assistant. That is fascinating. I'm thinking back now about all of the coaches and yeah, I would agree with you. There's also this idea that a lot of elite athletes um, at the ind in individual sports, endurance sports and um, 
no longer in sports, have this idea, like they have this like chip on their shoulder. Mm-hmm. And that that's what drives them. This kind of like constantly feeling like they're not good enough. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thought process. And I, I would probably, I would agree with you. I, I, I don't know that I would categorize it as a chip, but I, when you say that, it definitely resonates with me. I think, um, I think the, what separates the elite athlete in any sport um, is based around, um, I'm going to say, failure. Because at some point in time, every athlete is going to fail. And athletes that play longer and at a higher level are going to fail way more times than the average athlete because they're just they're around it more but i think oftentimes we feel like um failure is a bad thing we don't talk about failure it's what an elite athlete does with that failure or that obstacle or that struggle or that chip that they may have about their insecurity about not being good enough and it's what they do with that that is different than everyone else um they don't allow it to beat themselves up they allow it to motivate them to be better, to take that extra lap, to spend an extra half hour than anyone else. It allows them to focus on it a little bit more before they step on the court or in the, on the field. So it's that um, desire to take their failure and I'm, or obstacles and actually do something about it that is what you see very, very consistently in those elite and great athletes versus an athlete who experiences some failure, some struggles, and they allow that to, to weighing their ability to kind of want to be engaged or work harder. And that's, um, you know, mental toughness. It's, it can be a lot of things, but I, I think it's definitely a characteristic you see in elite athletes. Yeah. It sounds like the way you're describing it, um, is like a growth mindset. I couldn't say it any better. <laughs> you get excited, like kind of excited. I know I kind of do when I'm like, Oh, I've got something to work on. Sweet. Right. I'm going to get better at this. Right. It's, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. And, and uh, you know, Lisa Fernandez, uh, so fortunate to spend a lot of my career coaching her, uh, but then also now being a peer of hers um, and watching her as, as an athlete. Um, it, it, it's, it's the ability to say, wow, I'm not good at that yet. I know I can be good at that. I just need to work at it. And it's, it's, a really, really exciting thing to be around. It can be exhausting for other people to be around people that are that way. Um, but once again, I think um, you look at the greats and you start to want to emulate what they do. And I think that's growth mindset is, is for sure a, a trait that we see in those elite athletes. Yeah. So as a coach, how do you, how do you foster that like idea of like, yeah, keep working, keep working, but know when to like, Okay, call it a day. Yeah, I think, well, there's, there's a couple of different things because once again, you're going to have some athletes that, are, that, that fall a little bit to the defeated side with failure. And there's other athletes that are like Elisa Fernandez who are, are never satisfied and are always going to be working. They, it doesn't matter how many hours it is, they're going to keep working. So with that elite athlete, you've got to make sure that they are able to temper their desire to keep getting better with their ability to say, hey, to be at your best, you've got to have moderation. You've got to be able to commit to it, but you also need your time to kind of step away from it. Um, but for most athletes, I think it's about finding the little successes. It's about noticing the small gains. It's about appreciating um, when they get that first one right. They may not execute it perfectly, but if they execute something or a portion of it on the right way, is recognizing it. And I don't think that that's blowing smoke or trying to pump somebody's ego. It's recognizing gains, um, even if they don't have the same outcome that you're still trying to get. So um, I think that's one of the great things about coaching in general is to say, how do you get in the head of any one of your athletes and be able to kind of um, mold them into how to think about training and how to think about practice and how they think about games? Because it's a game. We're all, we're playing games. It's sport. It's fun. It's, it's no one's life is on the line. Right. So we have to be careful of making everything so overwhelmingly important that um, we start to take away the joy of the game. But at the same time, we've got to make sure that they learn how to kind of manipulate their own thought process so that they are in their best possible position to be their best. And, you know, an athlete, you may work with two athletes that, that are, skill sets are completely different but their mindsets might be very much wired the same way 
And um, so success for one of those athletes is going to look different than success for the other because of their skill sets. But it's still the way that you get them to process those successes that is important. And everyone has a different definition of success. 100%. 100%. And, and talking about the process of, of training and the process of winning is as valuable as the actual outcome. So recognizing the process, enjoying the process, and then allowing the process to kind of run its course it is the journey that all great athletes will go through or should go through. Yeah, I mean, that's what we remember, isn't it? We don't remember like the second we win, we remember all the little pieces that it took to get there. Right, exactly. You couldn't say it any better. When you, when you get to the point where you're going back and you're looking back at your career and you're trying to remember those joys, the things that you will remember more is, yes, you'll remember the medals and you remember the national championships. But when you think back into that year or that run of success, the things that you remember are the process. You remember your teammates working out together. You remember the funny things that happened on the road trips. You remember the things and the relationships and how people made you feel um you don't remember the details of oh i remember at practice we did this for this many hours right. you know you don't remember the detail of of the process you remember the how the process emotionally felt and that's um and that's gonna be very very powerful and how many women are on the team uh this year i think we've got 24 on the team this year okay so 24 different personalities yeah you know, um, it's one of the great pleasures of mine and my opportunity in the last you know, 36, 40 years, I guess, has been that process. Uh, I, am a, I am about team culture, and that is where I've always been. My strength has always been. And so my journey back here at UCLA was very much to, to be in that mode about team culture and, and making sure that that's what we were working on. So, um, you know, meeting with the captains or the seniors or the upperclassmen, however you designate your, your leaders, and making sure that they are going into it as prepared as they can be to um, welcome the new athletes that have come in and um, not necessarily forget those that have left, but hold on to the positive things that you learn from those coaches or those athletes that have left and have moved on. So um, any given year, you're going to have four to five, six new people and you're going to have five or six that move out and are no longer with you. So you change. That's, that's about half your team that can change in a dynamic. So um, it's fun. It's the joy of it. And it's different every year. There's no, no two years are exactly the same. What's your mindset like, like the first day when you see the group together? Um, I, I guess I, I, I'm eager and I'm excited. Um, but, more than I'm ready to, for me to kind of impart and do something, I'm really kind of ready and excited to see who in any given year is going to start to step up and who has evolved and who has kind of grown and learned um, mainly as leaders. Um, and, and it's really fun to watch. Um, we just had a, a meeting with our, our senior class um, yesterday and just checked in with them. And, and it was really, uh, I'm looking at the group and thinking, oh, my God, I can remember you guys were just freshmen. You know, it seemed like last year and you're now seniors. And then just to listen to them talk about their experience over the last three years and what they want for this year's team and where they want to go and the pitfalls that they hope to avoid. It's just really rewarding because you start seeing these young, um, confident women really start to take hold and realize that they can have an influence and have an effect um, and hopefully in positive ways. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And I imagine they don't come in that way. Um, not very often. They usually come in, you know, wide-eyed and excited and ready to kind of experience the world. Uh, but most of the time, they're they're feeling a little bit insecure because that you know there's seniors on the team that have been there for longer and they it's, everything's new to them. So um, the journey from that freshman to senior year is really an amazing one to watch, and it's it's filled with a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Um, but what you start to see on the outside end when they're in their senior year and then moving on when they graduate, it's, it's probably one of the most rewarding things um, about coaching. Uh, I'm, I'm super competitive, ultra competitive, and, and I love being a part of uh, a fight and a run for a national title. But the most rewarding thing for sure is to see 
these strong, confident women um, and what they go out and attack in the real world when they've been given the tools to um, succeed. And it's just, it's just the most powerful thing in the world. That's such a gift. Do they all stay in touch? Oh yeah. I have alumni from, you know, my Oregon state days I, that I hear from all the time. And um, you know, when you're, when you're the head coach and you're kind of doing this and you're kind of on top of them all the time and, and really pushing, you, you don't necessarily get a whole lot of love back, <laughs> right? You get a lot of like, oh, okay, you know, whatever it might be. But when you start hearing from them um, on the other side, um, once again, if, if you've done a good job as a coach and you've made them feel valued and you made them feel like they were capable of something more than they believed, that's what they remember. You know, it's not how many times you made them run laps or how many times they got disciplined um, that, that they hold on to. And um, that's like I said, that's kind of always been my thing is if I can if I can make them feel like they're capable of something more than what they came in with, then I've done my job. Um, and softball or, or athletics, that's kind of our classroom. But it's kind of just a precursor to the real world. Yes. How do you do that? How do you make them believe that they're capable of more than they think they are on their own? Well, a lot of it, Jenna, like I said, is mindset. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's easy enough for anyone to train skills. Like, um, you know, coaches that just talk X's and O and train the skill. Yes, you're going to have a natural progression of growth over years. Um, certainly skill sets are going to get better. But again, I go back to it's about how they process um, responsibility, how they take responsibility, their integrity, their ability to, to understand it's the little things that you do. It's not just when people are watching, but, um, you know, setting priorities, uh, making sacrifices, and then um, learning to surround yourself with people that, that have a like mindset, you know, um, surround yourself with people with growth mindset, because that's going to continue to, to make you a better person. So, um, it's just always those little things. And I think you never know what that what is going to cause you to have an opportunity for a life lesson. Um, so if you're if you're open to thinking that way all the time, those life lesson moments happen literally in the vans. They happen at the meals. That's not just what happens on the field. Um, you know, we're not in their personal lives 24 seven, but we're around each other a lot enough that we know when, when an athlete is struggling or when they're having success and, um, you know, making, like I said, it's, it's just making sure that their minds are always around the big picture and the journey and not just in the, in the small bubble of the moment. Yeah. I want to get back or I want to get now to you as a player. Okay. Um, a national champion. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, how is, let's start with the sport. How is softball different from the player's perspective for you as a player than as a coach? Well, you know, it's funny because I started playing after I had been coaching. So I had been coaching really competitively at a very high level and then got pulled into playing. And, and I, I really loved it um, because I was able to kind of, um, I guess, focus more on me and my development, because everything else I'd been doing as a head coach was always about the team and, and outwardly. So when I first started playing, I relished the opportunity to not think as a coach and to not be in a coach mode, but just literally compete, just step in and compete and enjoy the competition of it. And um, I took a little bit of a time off and retired for a, a handful of years, probably about 12 years when I was up at Oregon. And then when I got back down here to California to compete again, it ignited a different fire in me uh, this time around because I had not coached, obviously, or I had not played. I was just a coach. Then I actually was play, playing and coaching together and, and had a new experience. And then I went back to coaching pretty much was what I was doing. And now my opportunity to go back and play again at a really high level, um, for me anyways, was really, um, again, ignited a, a thought process about how to be the best athlete you can be. And so that's really my focus. I love putting into practice the things that I've always asked our players to do. Um, their mentality, the one pitch at a time focus, um, the ability to get over the, what just happened and get focused on the moment. And I think my ability 
um, to do that has gotten better in the last three years, um, doing it on a regular basis. But I think um, I, I just, I really relish that opportunity to really kind of um, walk the walk that I've asked my players to walk. And it, it challenges me because uh, if I fail at it and I fail just like anyone else and I catch myself going, okay, if I was coaching, my, if I was coaching myself right now, what would I say to me if I was, you know, walking out to the field and I'd be like, oh yeah, stop worrying about that and just focus on this. So it's really kind of a neat opportunity that I'm, I feel very blessed and fortunate to, to be still playing at this point in time. Do you feel like it actually helps your coaching? 100%. There's no doubt. Um, you know, even uh, just as is recent of this last week, I was talking with an athlete um, who's on the U.S. national team and she just, you know, won the, they won the world championships and she is a young first year player on that uh, national team was a part of it. Um, and she was our big player of the year here at UCLA. And, and we were just chatting about um, competing because I was able to experience the similar thing at my level, which was not the national team level, but the same journey in terms of winning that national title was, you know, the, the journey of each game by game. And, and, and so just to be able to kind of converse from a place that's very fresh in my mind um, about my experience really to me is something that makes me a better coach. Um, I, I, it's not that it's new information, but it is just much more heightened and um, I guess just relevant in my mind when we talk about issues, mentality, or whatever it might be. Yeah, I don't know if it's true for everyone because I know there are different learning styles. But for me, and I tend to be a kinesthetic learner, mm. so I will, I learn a lot through training and racing triathlons. Yeah. And like that's where I learn my big everything kind of and then I come back and I'm like oh where else is that showing up in my life right um, I like apply that to other parts of my life but for me experiencing it is a like that's how I get it yeah for sure that's awesome that's really fantastic um okay so you're a player you're a coach and what else do you have going on <laughs> well, a lot of my passion in my world um, really kind of took a, a little bit of a turn. Um, I guess it was about, it was 2005. Um, I, I was going through the adoption process with my partner. And at that point in time, I was out to family and to um, some of my peers and closer friends. Um, wasn't really hiding my sexuality, but I wasn't necessarily on the float waving the flag. So um, when I, I got the chance to tell my team um, there was a really kind of a whole switch in, in things that really started to ignite with me. And first of all, becoming a parent is, um, is life-changing <laughs> for sure, but also the ability to start to demonstrate and live in a very authentic life that had been, um, less than authentic, um, was, was a powerful moment. Um, and I fought very hard in the beginning, the first few years that I was labeled as the gay coach, um, because it, I felt like it was demeaning to my coach status. Like, why is the gay thing in front of the coach? I'm a coach that happens to be gay. I happen to be a male. I happen to be, you know, from California. Like, that is the order that I felt. The coaching was where I dedicated my life and, and I really gained respect and gained my opportunities. So I hated being labeled the gay coach. And what I learned um, in that period of time was the power of that influence and the platform that I was on, um, it, it, I started to realize it wasn't about me. It wasn't about a title that was labeled to me because what it was doing for other people and what it was doing for our sports community was incredibly humbling, powerfully impactful. And I was blown away by the numbers of people um, male, female, old, older than I am, you know, professional and working in pro sports, working in high school level, at every level, the, the emails that I would get was just overwhelming. Um, and that's when I, I, I started to realize that I'm not necessarily more special because I happen to be gay, but I am special because I've taken that opportunity to be a little bit more visible and, and be a little bit more um, authentically in front of everybody, be a visible way. And 
so that really has really kind of ignited um, a great passion for LGBT sports diversity and inclusion and, and that work. And um, I, I'm to this day extremely passionate about it and do a lot of work with uh, several nonprofits and networking with athletes and coaches um, through that coming out process. And uh, it, it's, um, it's, it's been a, an absolute joy and a, a second chapter in my second half of my life. It sounds like it's something you so didn't see coming. No, not at all. And even when I came out publicly, um, I told my team. And once I told my team, a friend of mine was, had, was a, a sports writer that focused on LGBT issues. And he said, does this mean I can do a story? And at that point, I'm like, sure. Like, I, doesn't matter to me. I, the people that I was worried about most, I told. So if you want to do an article, go for it. And I'm a softball coach. So I don't think it's going to be any big deal but it turned out to be a big deal. So I, I was blindsided by it. I happened to be kind of labeled by the media as the first uh, division one coach to be publicly out and make a public statement on it and male or female. And that, um, like I said, it, it became unexpected on what it was going to do. And then honestly, how I felt about um, being in that role. And I didn't expect that or didn't plan on it. Um, okay. We have two questions. First is what did all those emails say? <laughs> well, 90, 99.9% .9 of them um, were, thank you. Um, I thought I was alone. I thought I was the only one. Um, I, I now feel like I could come out or I now feel like I can just give myself a break and just be me mm -hmm. and not keep beating myself up uh, that I'm not alone. 100% um, of them were positive. Um, and I, I really... In my experience, since 2005, you know, 14, 15 years it's been, whatever, um, it, I've had nothing but positive experiences and opportunities. And maybe it's my growth mindset, right? I, <laughs> I take any obstacles or any glitches and kind of figure out how it's an opportunity. Um, but I've had amazing opportunities to have great discussions with people that um, maybe have a different viewpoint or maybe are not as enlightened or as open-minded or as tolerant. Um, but I've never felt personally attacked or that my job or my um, performance in my job was ever impacted in a negative way. And uh, I was never negative recruited against that I'm aware of. And I always felt like, um, man, that's something that I should be shouting from the rooftops because it's not what people believe will happen in sports if somebody is out. And so I don't think it's just <laughs> that's just me. I don't think I'm just the lucky one. I, I truly believe that sports is a very welcoming place um, because it's about integrity and focus and being authentic. And I think that that's, those are values that in sports, um, coaches, athletes, fans appreciate and value. What is your vision? I'm skipping. I totally already forgot the second question I had. So what's your vision for inclusion in sports going forward? Yeah. Yeah, my, my vision is obviously to continue to kind of accelerate um, the process of, of just understanding that, that, that there are LGBT athletes at every level. Um, there's going to be high level athletes that come in that have LGBT parents that have two dads or two moms. Um, I, I just want to make sure that that conversation never needs to be awkward. Being, being an invisible minority um, is, is a blessing and a curse. The blessing is um, I can choose to not share it if I don't want to. Um, and so if I choose to not share it, um, I can, in essence, hide. Um, it, it also is a curse because I can choose to hide. And that choose to hiding is actually has negative effects for other people. Um, because there's somebody out there that might be struggling with it, that might not know that they're alone or might think that they're alone, might not know that there's other people out there. There's another football player or there's another coach or there's another umpire that is also uh, happens to be gay and living a, a very authentic life. So for me, it's about getting rid of the awkward uh, more than it is saying, okay, everybody that's gay, stand up and raise your hand. I, I don't know that it's anyone's business, but I just don't want it to ever be awkward for anybody that feel like they have to hide or have to be invisible to be in sports. How do we get rid of the awkward uh, conversation and visibility? Uh, it, it, it's like I, I say, I don't really want everybody. I don't feel a need that everybody has to come out. But at some point, you know, if 
everybody that was in sports, I mean, this is the same in the real world, they're sports. If everybody that was in sports in the NFL, NBA, anywhere, college ranks, if anybody that was game automatically was going to have a medically have a, a rainbow flag on their forehead for a day. And all of a sudden it was like, whoa, had no idea, you know, then that could go away. And the ramification would be, had no idea there was teammates of mine or athletes I was coaching or coaches that happened to be LGBT. Now I know. Um, that to me would, would kind of get us to the point where people wouldn't have to keep coming out. But I do think the way to get there is visible. You know, I think those athletes or coaches that are feeling confident in who they are and have the platform to do it, absolutely be visible because it's not just about you, it's about your sphere of influence. And so um, I may not, maybe, I didn't think my coming out was going to affect anyone across the country. I thought it would definitely affect people in our conference, people that I had coached, people in my athletic department, my sphere of influence. Um, and it certainly did. I, I was fortunate because my platform allowed my ripple to go national and international to, to the point that I realized you don't know who you're going to affect. You don't know who you could potentially um, change. So um, I think visibility is important, even if it's just being visible in your immediate sphere and not on a national level or, a, like I said, riding on a float in a polite pride parade. Um, just being authentic in your own world um, can be very, very powerful to the people around you that love you and know you. What was it like realizing that you just being your authentic self was so much more powerful than you realized? Yeah. Um, that, like I said, that was, there, was a, there was a turning point for me. And um, a couple of those turning point moments um, one for sure that, that came a little bit later, but it was right about about a year, year and a half into the whole process that when I stopped saying, okay, I don't care if you call me the gay coach, go for it. It was like, it was a very definite change in my mindset because I just become overwhelmed with how much influence it was having that I felt like, okay, now I'm just being really selfish that I don't want to be called the gay coach. Um, so that was a watershed moment for me um, to let go of um, how, how that was being discussed. The second, you know, many, many other ones, but just um, the one story that I do think is very powerful was, you know, Rick Welts, um, who is uh, the CEO and president of the Golden State Warriors. At the time, he was the same position with the um, uh, Phoenix, um, I'm going, the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, he came out publicly and it was a great opportunity a great movement in nba history in professional sports and i was just so excited for him and i, I reached out to him through I, we had a mutual friend um in ann myers and i reached out to him and just said hey i just wanted to say congrats and thank you and you know i appreciate you making that step um not thinking I would ever get a response back. And he literally emailed probably within two to three minutes, I got an email back from him and, and just was going on and on and on about how much he had followed my career, followed my coming out story, and, um, and actually had carried around the article in the New York Times or the New York Daily News from my story in his briefcase for months prior to him doing his story that he felt like that could give him the strength to tell his story. Here I am, a softball coach, you know, in the Northwest, and to be able to have influence on somebody that was on a national level, in the professional sport level, affect him to be able to give him courage and strength was just uh, crazy overwhelming to me. Um, so those, those are the kind of moments where I just go like, wow, I have to take advantage of this. Um, and I don't want it to be about me, um, but yet if I have to talk about me to help other people, by God, let's do it. Um, and, uh, obviously Rick is, is still a very close friend and, and somebody that I have a huge respect for. And he just went into the hall of fame last night, um, for the NBA and so, so proud of him and everything that he's accomplished. But, uh, to know that I had a little bit of part of that, or I could have helped in any way in the part of that is just really still blows me away. That is amazing. I mean, that, that story brings tears to my eyes. Just the, like, holy crap. You had no idea that you were having this influence on this guy. And, 
I mean, allowing somebody to take off the mask and be their true selves, what better gift can you give someone? I, I perfectly said. <laughs> it's, a, it's a gift that I get to be able to, to help somebody take their mask off and be authentic. Yes, absolutely. Are you doing anything beyond just being you to support this vision? Oh yeah, I, I am. I uh, I'm very active in several uh, several facilities. Obviously, I helped um, kind of form the LGBT Sports Coalition with with Nike support. Uh, the Nike Be True campaign, which is out there, was something that I was able to really be a part of um, reigniting. Um, and so I've always been very very proud of that uh, and Nike's passion for being a vehicle for social change in sport um, aligned really closely with me and. Um, so that was something I was very proud of. Through that, all that work, though, there's been some amazing relationships and opportunities. Um, you know, uh, some great foundations and work that is going on. But I also have gotten very passionate about networking and connecting uh, sports professionals, LGBT coaches, and also LGBT student athletes, athletes that have come out. So two organizations that I, I've been very passionate about the last, uh, certainly the last five or six years. Um, Equality Coaches Alliance, which is a, a group of 700 and growing every day, um, LGBT sports professionals, coaches, athletes, or uh, administrators, uh, officials, um, sports professionals that identify as LGBT and, and, and from the high school, collegiate, professional sports ranks. And that group started with 11 people um, and it has expanded and grown to over 700 in the last five years. And um, just knowing that those people are networking and getting connected and feeling more empowered is something that aligns right with my um, passions. Um, same thing on the athlete side. There's a lot of student athletes that are coming out right and left at the collegiate and high school level and to make sure that they can network and get to know each other and or at least be able to share stories about, oh, I was in that same conference. I, you know, I competed there 10 years ago so cool that you're out and um it, it's just it's it's great mentoring opportunity 11 people to 700 yeah that's quite the ripple i mean people use the term ripple effect and you wow yeah yeah i well i i i take the opportunity to keep kind of re-establishing the ripple because I put myself out there a little bit more because I realized that um, it, I don't need to do it for me. I can just continue to be authentic and coach, but I, I don't know who it might affect. So it's, who am I to say, don't stand up and speak up. Don't necessarily help facilitate. Um, and that's what I, I love. Like right now, I, I just was speaking with an amazing young woman who was a, a soccer athlete who's now working for the Minnesota Vikings. And um, she's, you know, she's only been working there for two years, but she's going to be a rock star in professional sports. I guarantee it. This, this woman is amazing. And to be able to help her elevate her story and create her ripple um, is, is one of the greatest things I can do. And so networking her with other people and kind of getting her story out there is just um, I know the effect it's going to have. So let me get it started and let it let it run its course because I know it's going to lead to nothing but positives. I I love it. I, are you familiar with the Marianne Williamson quote? That's oh geez. Well, now I can't come up with it, but it's basically like don't be afraid. Uh, our greatest fear isn't the darkness; it's the light. Mm. Finding ourselves. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think um, I, I've learned a lot about myself and, and those amazing opportunities. And, and I'm inspired by so many people out there that, that have those, those platforms and that they use that platform. But I, I think so many times people are really, um, they're afraid of what might be rather than afraid of, of not doing something like to live a life and not have any influence is probably one of the saddest things you can think about, you know, it, at least if you can influence one individual or influence a group of individuals or several people or people that can go on to be successful influence is, is our greatest gift. Um, and not, and, and we have to figure out how are we influencing somebody? Are we influencing them negatively or positively? <laughs> right? So influence is, is our, our, our wand that we can have to, to live a better life. 
Um, it's not about what I gain, but it's about what I can help other people in my sphere gain. And if you could give everyone in your sphere one gift, I'm talking like a, a feeling, a sensation, not a physical gift, although yeah. that, what would it be? <laughs> um, I, I, think, um, I, I think I would say the gift of knowing that being uniquely you and authentically you is absolutely the greatest thing you can do. Um, you don't need to be anyone else and you don't need to fit in anyone else's box. Be the best authentic you and you will live the best life you can. I, it's, it, I, being unique is, is a gift. Being, being rare is special. So don't try and be like everyone else. Absolutely. I'll call that you're awesome. <laughs> find the sparkle, find that unique gift that right. makes you rare. Right. And then right. let it shine. Right. And, and you know what? It doesn't mean that you have to be, you have to be a, an expert at any one thing to be special. Like just be authentically you and be continually be you. It, you know, I, I, I don't know that I always like that everyone's special. I don't know. And not everyone is special in every aspect of their life, but you are unique and unique yeah. is rare. And, and so unique is by itself enough. It doesn't have to be that you're the best at something. Just be really authentically you. And that's unique. And that's great. And it feels like in your case, like you didn't, you weren't aware at the time of how unique you were how impactful that was going to be it feels like somebody gave you your superhero uniform and on across the front there's the gay coach and you're like oh, <laughs> yeah oh, man. That's, that's a great way of you know that makes me that obviously makes me smile and makes me laugh because i think that is probably the best analogy and i'm probably going to steal that because okay. that is probably the greatest way to describe it, it i was given my superhero cape that I didn't even know I was asking for or wanting. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, 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 that's really amazing. Um, yeah, I love it. <laughs> Maybe you can get someone to actually make it for you. You what? Maybe you can actually get someone to make it for you. Right. Okay. Well, that that might be the. I don't know if I would wear it, but anyway. So maybe um, yeah. right. I wouldn't be invisible anymore at that point, right? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Oh, I love, I absolutely love everything you just said. Where else should we go exploring? Um, I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm wide open, um, you know, on the, on the coaching, the female athlete side, I think on the, the mental side, I'm open to kind of discussions about anything. I, I sometimes I, um, I get very focused on the LGBT conversation because I, I, a lot of people don't have that conversation. So I enjoy it. But I also am very passionate about my coaching side and, and um, staying involved in coaching for 40 years and how the sport has changed and how it's the same. I mean, I think that's kind of a cool topic is how are things different, but how are things the same? How has it evolved? You know, um, I think there's so many things that have evolved in athletics in general. I mean, the, the importance of the contracts and the money and the, this, the, there's a lot more focus on those things but at the core a lot of things that are the same are that athletes as i said to you athletes want to uh, enjoy the process they want to compete and they want to be able to kind of have an opportunity to kind of um go for go learn to go for their goals um so athletes are very much the same how athletes process fa failure how they process their success absolutely has changed um, you know, the role of social media has really changed since, since about 2011. We've just seen that the athletes are very different. Um, much of their world is about trying to create their highlight reel on social media. So um, they, they tend to be really seeking to share all their positives. Um, and partly is because they, they see everyone else's positives and trying to keep up. So um, I, I think there's athletes these days, I think, are a little bit less confident uh, true confident than they were years ago. Um, and that's part of because they, they feel like they're maybe a little less important in the big scope of the world um, as an individual. Um, 
and I think that social media has kind of really brought that to the forefront. So I think athletes um, view their failure and successes definitely differently these days than, than we did, you know, when I first started coaching back in the eighties. Um, I think you could get away a with being talented years ago and that was um, got you pretty far. Um, there's no doubt that these days that talent alone is not enough to win. Um, talent alone is not in a competitive world is not the defining factor between success and failure. Um, everyone's got talent, everyone's growing and get, got the skills and their ability. So those are an important kind of baseline position to be in. But what separates the great, I think more than ever, is their ability to um, be mentally tough and to, to process failure. The, what we talked about, the elite athlete. Yeah, what does mentally tough mean to you? Mentally tough means that I can, I can stay in a mindset that allows me to be um, in the moment and be without, um, without uh, a, a noisy mind. So it's my ability to just stay in a moment or get to just being in the moment. I don't think mentally tough is like being hard and being like, I'm going to be tougher. I think mentally, mentally tough means I don't feel the need to do more um, because the pressure of the situation has gotten bigger. Um, so mentally tough is being able to control and, and move your mindset from whether you're overly heightened or you're under heightened. Mentally tough is about get to that sweet spot and be able to stay there. And when I get pulled out, either I get overly heightened or the pressure of the game gets bigger, I can keep myself in that right spot. Or if I'm not facing a very good opponent and I'm being feeling kind of lazy and I'm, my mindset's kind of wandering to the weak side of not really working hard. I can catch myself and say, nope, that's not where I need to be. I need to be back here in my sweet spot. So to me, mentally toughness is being able to know where your sweet spot is and be able to keep yourself from straying from that uh, on a daily basis. You've, you included so much in that definition. I love it so much. The present that kind of allowing rather than forcing. So I, I think of that as the difference between force and flow. Yeah. Because like, if you try and muscle through something, I've tried it. It doesn't work. Right. Guaranteed failure. And we always think I'll just do it this time. I know it doesn't normally work, but I'll do it this time. And it never works. No, no. <laughs> I'll just keep learning that. Right. That was right. And then it happens. You're like, shoot, I know that it doesn't happen. Why did I try and do that? Yeah. 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 But I once again, I think, I think that's uh, with a growth mindset. It's like, you don't beat yourself up for it. You go, yep, should have stayed in my sweet spot, should have stayed where I need to be. And so I think the mentally tough people, um, I, that's why tough is, is an interesting word to me because I don't know if it's about tough. It's about um, powerful. It's about um, uh, awareness more than it, being mentally aware of really where your sweet spot is mm -hmm. and, and being able to stay there. And it, it takes different things. I, it's probably more three-dimensional than you know, I did just two dimensions here this way. It's probably very three dimensional because you have a lot of factors in any human, your health, your mental approach, your emotions, you know, the environment, your opponent. I mean, there's a lot of factors. And so if it's an orb or a giant globe and the sweet spot is the center of that where you're at your best, you're being pulled or influenced or pushed constantly by all those different factors. Yeah. So it's, it's not even like so black and white as here and here. I think it's much more global and the three-dimensional factor. Absolutely. You can have everything ready to go and then it starts downpouring and boom, all of a sudden your mindset just goes to the basement. Right. Or you get a phone call from your, you know, your partner or your roommate about something happened or your dog died or, I mean, it, it, like at any moment in time, we're being influenced by a number of different forces surrounding. And you can't deny those things. You can't say, just shut it off. You, right. it's, that's, we're human beings. You can't just shut it off. But the mentally tough people um, are capable of keeping themselves where they need to be and then allowing themselves, when they're no longer competing, allow themselves to then process and deal with whatever's going on because it's going to be there. Yes. So. And I think we spend a lot of time with our athletes talking about that, you know, when you get to the gate, there's 
we talk about the gate, we have a ramp up to our, our field and we say that's like the, the ramp, like you're getting on a plane. It's like, there's no, you check your bags at the gate. There's no carry-ons. You're not carrying on any of your emotions. You're not carrying on your schoolwork. You're not carrying on all of those carry-on things. We don't take carry-ons onto our plane. It's checked at the gate, right? As an athlete, because, and just leave it right there. You're going to pick it up, you know, two and a half hours after practice is over and we'll help you get through it. We'll help you sort out and unpack it. But right now we're not unpacking it. We're just leave it at the gate. Oh my God. So, I, love, I love that analogy. Yeah. And I, I just, I think that's a, it's a really simple way of getting them to understand. Yeah, it's important. But in this moment in time, what we need to do is focus on the task at hand and then we're going to attack that issue. And, and obviously if anything is so big and so important that it requires you to not be there, then yes. Oh my gosh, let's figure out, let's get you home. Right. 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 You know, it, so, but most of the things, and you know, this as an athlete or just as a functioning human being, most of the things that affect us are not necessarily life shattering. They're just enough to pull us out of our comfort zone. Right. right? And if we allow them to affect us in moments when we shouldn't, that to me is when we are, are mentally weak. Um, and, uh, and I think that that has to be trained on a daily basis. And I think it's definitely something you grow in for sure. It's not something you're born with. Yeah, I agree completely. I think of it as like influences are constantly tugging at us. Like I actually picture like a lasso pulling mm -hmm. on us in different directions. And it's that mental strength. But yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to it because I think we know what mental toughness right. like, what it is. But it, it, what is the right word? I don't know. It's, it's about being able to stay centered. It's about, you know. And that's why you start thinking, you know, about those people that do meditation and that the power of yoga and thought and an ability to kind of, once again, learn to manipulate your, your body in a way that, that keeps you centered. And I think that that's a powerful tool for any athlete. Um, and if you can learn to do that on a competitive field, if you can learn to do that in the world that you're living in, wow, you're setting yourself up to succeed. Do you teach mindfulness to your athletes? We do. We talk about it in different ways and we've incorporated it in different ways. And, you know, uh, we have a, a great um, uh, friend and mentor uh, that, that is, does a lot of work with um, sports psychology and, you know, just being mindful of taking, taking five minutes, we call it a five minute burn before we actually start to stretch or do anything. Take five minutes to kind of just be quiet, clear your thoughts, kind of, package everything up that's going on, kind of put it aside and get to the place that you want to be at before we start to stretch and compete. And then um, the more they practice at doing that, the easier it becomes. Um, but uh, when we first start doing it, they, you know, they're like, they're talking to each other. And I'm like, okay, how are you, you know, can't be mindful when you're talking because that's pulling your mind somewhere else. But there's a lot of different things like that, that we will focus on. It's just controlling your thoughts and, uh, managing your thoughts maybe more than controlling them but do you find it differs like um we'll just use mental toughness do you find it differs based on the position people play on the field well i think the um once again the requirements of any given position will come in different packages so if i'm a pitcher i have i have very short window of time to get over the last failure so I, I've got to immediately get over it. I'm going to throw 130, 115 pitches in a game. And if I'm thinking about the last three, I, I'm going to get through six or seven more before I even get over the last three. And if I'm doing that, now I'm thinking about those last six because they weren't good either because I wasn't in the right mindset. So I think pitchers really have, have a really um, – successful pitchers really have a great affinity for getting to being in the moment, being present in the moment. Um, and I think once again, uh, you've got different outfielders who may not see a ball very often. They have to do um, almost the reverse. Like they have to almost create the situation that every time a ball is thrown, I'm expecting it to come to me and then I don't get it. Okay, next pitch. I'm expecting it to come to me and then I don't get it. So there's a whole different thought process there where I'm not getting to have any physical impact. Um, so I'm not judging my failure but I'm preparing for what I'm going to need to do when it does happen. Um, so there's a very different mindset. A pitcher isn't thinking about, I'm just prepared. Pitcher is processing immediately what I just did. 
outfielders, like I said, they may not touch a ball a whole game, and they have to go a whole game being prepared for the next moment that's going to happen, even if they haven't touched a ball. Which so, I personally find more challenging to like be able to get yourself up to that sweet spot when it's so easy to just kind of like, all right, just right. Right. I can be picking daisies and like look yeah. in the stands. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's a very true statement. I think it is harder. Um, and I think that that's something that um, once again, kind of lends yourself to start realizing that every position on the field um, has different requirements and different needs. Um, but at the same time, we want them all to be in a place where they can be in the moment when the moment calls. And um, so to get there is differently for different athletes. What have you learned? I mean, it sounds like you've learned so much, but I just want to see what comes up with this. What have you learned from softball? Oh, everything. Um, I, I mean, I think everything that I've learned, I've learned through the people, I, I would say. And to me, that is softball. Um, but the mentors that I've had, uh, just how, how the life lessons really play out every day on a field. And, and it's almost laughable. If you just sat there and said, oh, right, that athlete just had to deal with this situation. You're like, oh, you know, that's probably a situation she's going to have to deal with at some point here in her life, in the real world, away from the softball field. It's going to be, you know, something's going to happen. So I think that's the coolest thing to me is to realize that life um, and life lessons happen around us constantly, wherever we are. For me, sports and being at the NCAA uh, 2A Division One high level of softball has escalated those moments to be um, really in my forefront, in my windshield all day long. So I think that's where I couldn't even begin to tell you specifically what I've learned because it's literally been everything. Everything that I am has been through being involved in, in this great sport and coaching. Are you ever going to retire? <laughs> uh, yeah, some point I will. Um, you know, I, I still love it. Um, I, I get pulled in a lot of different directions. I have my passions get pulled in different directions. Uh, but, uh, you know, every season we step out on the field and there's an excitement in my belly to do it. Um, it's hard to walk away from it. But uh, someday it's going to happen and it might not be too far away, but I have no, I have no idea. <laughs> My college swim coach was 90-something. Wow. That's amazing. Where we I, I, I guarantee I'm very, very confident I won't be doing this at 90. <laughs> if I'm fortunate to be alive at 90, I, I think I won't be coaching. But uh, for now, uh, it's, it's, it's a day-to-day. -day and, and as long as I'm able to have influence and make a, an effect and enjoy the process, um, then it'll be good. At the point where I don't feel like I have an influence or – I'm not um, as able to be in that sweet spot because uh, I'm being pulled in other directions and it's time for me to shift. Um, I'm going to continue to do it. I've got one more question for you. Sure. What's the scariest thing you've ever done? Oh, oh. Uh, the scariest thing I've ever done. Wow. Well, I, I would, I, uh, I don't know if I want to share one personal one in particular, but I do want to say that some of the scariest things that I've done have been when I've been competing and I've had to allow myself to be okay if I fell short. So the scariest thing is letting yourself accept that failure might happen. Um, and I think that's in love and in life in general. Like, the fear of the failure it is debilitating, but it is the actual opportunity to prepare to have the joy that comes with, with competing um, or late, letting yourself be vulnerable is what that scares me on a daily basis, to be honest with you. <laughs> it pops up all the time, and I'm like, okay, why am I doing that, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I think sports is such a – it's as athletes at any level we're we're putting our heart right out there for everyone to see they were to see to judge to write about to analyze to make stories up about yeah all right exactly yep. like, and, and that, 
that's exactly the point that I would say is that I think athletes are so under the microscope these days. That's one of the ways that it's really changed. So um, my, my value and my appreciation for athletes these days is that, man, I get it. It's hard to do it, but then you're going to do it. And everyone in, you know, on Twitter and on Snapchat and on Facebook and social media is going to judge it and talk about it. it it's like, wow, I, I really have to be confident that um, I have a good support network around me. Yeah. Kirk, this conversation has been amazing. Thank you so much. Well, I've really appreciated the, the conversation and certainly the questions have been amazing. So it's been awesome. Where can people learn more about you or connect with you or follow? Well, um, you know, I, obviously uh, Equality Coaches Alliance is a, is a group that I would love to be able to continue to share with people. And the best way to get a hold of me, uh, my email here at, at UCLA is kwalker at UCLA. Um, uh, I'm sorry, kwalker at athletics.ucla.edu. Um, I'm pretty accessible through the website, um, through just UCLA Athletics. But, um, you know, also on Facebook, um, you can find me on Facebook. I'm fairly easy to find. And I'm very, very open to uh, having confidential conversations and anonymous conversations without uh, I'm worrying about anybody losing their um, anonymity um, if they are concerned. So uh, reach out and I would love to be able to be uh, a resource for anyone I can be. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com, and there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome.